classes at 3.30 today, so those who have uh, been a part of the last couple of weeks, wanted to remind you uh, back at 3.30 today, and so it's been a great class. I think we've had 16 or 17 people in this class, and so it's been really a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, and so I appreciate those who are committed to be part of our church formally. Um, if you've not joined our church, we do these classes every quarter, and you learn about the church, learn about why we're here, what we do. And even though you attend here, there are probably a lot of stuff that you're not aware of, things we believe, our positions on various things. And so it's really important that you understand and know about the church that you attend. And so that's one reason why we do membership. There's lots of reasons, but that's one quick uh, reason. And then secondly, I'd like to announce that starting next, this coming Wednesday, Lent begins, and we're going to be doing our Lent devotions again on the app. These are written in-house by our staff, elders, and deacons, and you can pull those up on your app and follow along. There's a link right there at the bottom, and maybe you're not really familiar what Lent is. It's a period of fasting, moderation, self-denial. The church has been doing it for many centuries, and this is a time for Christians to join together. It starts on Ash Wednesday and ends on Easter Sunday, and it's just a time of preparation for our hearts and preparing ourselves for um, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you'll read those devotions, maybe consider taking part in some times of fasting or giving up something during this time period to focus more upon Christ. You don't earn credit for, for God from God to, by fasting. You don't do it so you can twist his arm to get what you want. Fasting and prayer are just our ways to commune with God and just seek his face, seek his heart. And I also like to say thank you for all those who signed up. Last week I said, um, announced kind of the fasting 15. I wanted to do 15 people at least who would jump on board and be part of a, a group on a rotation who would fast and pray for the service. So we have five people here today who are fasting and praying for God to move in our lives and our hearts to really open our eyes to his truth. And there's a rotation. It is about 23 people, I think, that signed up total. And so and just incredible response. So thank you guys for doing that. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and it'll be on the screen or follow along in the app or in your Bible. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the same things that are unseen. For the same things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. 
Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life, it gives us truth, God. Sometimes we just get so busy or we just feel like through pride that we have a handle on this life, and God, you uh, allow reminders um, from time to time just to get our attention to show us that we uh, control very little in this life. And God, I pray for those who are going through difficult times, they can relate to what Paul's speaking to today. God, for those who are in good times right now, that a season that everything seems to be going well, God, help them to uh, store up this knowledge and allow them to be prepared for the next time that you uh, allow suffering into their lives. And God, we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our goal. And everything that happens, I pray, will be used for that purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is true ministry? Think about ministry for a second. What is, what is true ministry? I think it's important to get context here for what Paul's been talking about. It's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees, right? We're, we're dealing with passages, but this all fits a bigger narrative. And so I wanted to kind of bring this through one screen kind of together, this section of what Paul has been talking about. He's been talking a lot about the new covenant, comparing that to the old covenant. He says that the new covenant... The Spirit comes. The Spirit, instead of being like in the Old Testament, upon people, the Spirit moved from person to person. Now, through the New Covenant, the Spirit indwells every believer. And it's an important side note. It's so important that we read the Old Testament with New Covenant, New Testament eyes, because it will help us to see that many of the things that we read in the Old Testament that were pertaining to the Old Covenant have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to pray, God, be in this place. We say that. Sometimes I might even pray that, be in this place, because we get so used to praying certain things. But God is in this place, right? God is with us. He's in us, and he's in all of his children. And so we need to be mindful, especially when we're reading through the Old Testament of the new covenant promises that the Spirit has been giving, given to us, that we have righteousness. We don't have to earn righteousness. God has given us righteousness. And Paul talks about how that we have boldness because we have this unfading glory as opposed to Moses who had this fading glory of the old covenant. It was fading away. It wasn't a permanent covenant. The new covenant was permanent. And so we're able to then trust God in the midst of troubles, knowing that he's with us. Not only is he with us, but he's orchestrating all of life in the only way that God can do these things in a way that's for his glory and it's for our good. And then we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So Paul insists through the rest of this book that these things are what true ministry is about, not the things that were so honored and valued in the days of the Corinthians, which were um, impressive presence, a charisma about people, a great speaking ability, philosophical ideas, This was the times where Paul lived, and this was the culture the Corinthians operated within. And Paul says, these are not what ministry is about. These things are superficial. Ministry is about the things that pertain to the new covenant, these things that are radical and that change our life. And and then as Paul's weaving through this and talking about ministry, he really deals with this idea of how do we keep going in ministry? How did Paul keep going in ministry? Things were hard. Ministry is hard. Ministry is difficult. And so how did Paul keep doing this? So before we talk about Paul and how he kept going through ministry and what we can learn from that, I'm going to give you two illustrations that uh, I think will help you kind of take this sermon in personally, all right? Some of you may have heard this first one, and so if you have, don't give it away to your neighbor and to your spouse, all right? It's been around for a while, but here it is. It says, a man is driving down the road with his son, 
and they get into a crash. Two ambulances come and take the man and his son to different hospitals. The son goes into the operating room. The doctor looks at him and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How is that possible? How is that possible? I remember the first time I heard that, I could not figure it out. And in fact, they say 50% of the people who hear that can't understand it. They can't figure out the riddle. That how can he operate on his, this boy? But it's, right, it's, it's the mom. The mom is the surgeon, not the dad, right? And so we have a certain way of thinking that our mind goes to dad, the man must be the surgeon, right? And so we think a certain way, and we have a hard time breaking out of that. Well, here's, a, here's another one, all right? I want you to picture in your mind a minister, okay? In your mind, grab in your mind a picture of a minister, all right? Since I say, gave that first illustration, I probably have then challenged you to know something's tricky about this one, right? But what came to mind originally? Was it a picture of, of me, or was it your favorite pastor, or, you know, an online preacher, or a TV evangelist? Was that what came to your mind? Well, these illustrations show us a couple things. It shows that we have to unlearn a few things in order to really, truly take Scripture in and make it apply to our lives. Because it's easy to read about Paul and about ministry, and we fail to see that Scripture is very, very clear that every Christian is a minister. Not every Christian, of course, is a pastor, but every Christian, that's you, is a minister, I could look at many passages that speak to this, but I believe 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11 speaks to it very, very well. It says, As each has received a gift, that's you, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles or the very words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, everything God, that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. So every person is a minister. So as we talk about how Paul weathered the storms and the hard times in ministry, then this helps us to see that if you're a minister and if I'm a minister, then these things apply to us. And so how we see ourselves determines how we live our lives. The way that you view yourself, your identity, if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, it helps you understand your purpose. And so that's what we want to do today is to keep the fact that we are all in ministry. And if you really relate and think about it, if you're active in ministry, and I don't mean necessarily because you serve in G-Kids once a month or you greet once a month or something like that. Oh, those are ministry for sure. But I want you to think about your personal ministry. You're serving and you're speaking and you're giving for, to advance the kingdom of God, giving of these things. And as we reach and minister to people, we know that ministry is hard. So think about people in your life that you're ministering to, whether it be family or friends, neighbors, it can be very, very difficult because people are difficult, right? We can feel very alone in ministry. We can get rejected, right? We speak and then we're rejected. Ministry requires, ministry requires great patience and great endurance. It takes great boldness to be a minister for God, to speak for God. God's given you a platform to speak. This past week, I went over and watched Brooks speak at FCA at Bainbridge High School. Kate McAleer spoke here this past week at... Uh, FCA here at Grace. So two of our students who go to church here were speaking in front of their peers. I don't take that lightly. That's a huge deal, right? It's hard to do. Speaking requires boldness. There's many disappointments in ministry. 
Friends abandon you. When you start ministry, friends like, I don't want anything to do with you. And so, and today, the fact that we live in a time where the gap between what Christians believe and what our culture believes is growing ever bigger and bigger and bigger. So you see, if you really engage ministry, ministry is very, very difficult. And if you're going to keep moving forward, if you're going to keep going, going, and keep pushing forward in ministry, then the truths of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, apply to each and every one of us. And so I'm going to give these to you, and I hope that you'll take them down or follow along in your notes and look at this later, because these truths will sustain you when you're wanting to quit, wanting to throw in the towel, don't want to give anymore, you're disappointed and you're hurt, or you feel like you're not making a difference. The number one thing that we need to remember here is that ministers must love Scripture and prize it as their ultimate and final authority. Ministers must love Scripture and prize it as their ultimate and final authority. And you're like, where do we get that from this text? Look at it, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I speak. We also believe and so we speak. So I love this. Paul quotes Scripture. He quotes the Psalms. And Scripture and the authority of Scripture and the final authority of Scripture is a bedrock foundation for us. As Protestants especially, we know, we understand the Reformation, the five solas. I hope you at least have some concept of what happened in the Reformation and Martin Luther. But, he, but the summary, kind of what was gathered as a summary from the Reformation is Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. Those were kind of like the five summary points that were taken from the Reformation. And this idea of sola scriptura, which is only scripture, the fact that God's word is inspired, it's inerrant, it's sufficient, and it's the final authority for the church. And so as opposed to tradition and church hierarchy and the things that the church says and the things that people speak who say they have authority, as opposed to that, Luther wanted to be clear that Scripture is the final authority. And not only did Luther value Scripture, he could go way back to where Paul, we see, values the authority of Scripture. He falls under the authority of Scripture even as he was writing Scripture, and Jesus valued Scripture. When we look in the Gospels and we see Jesus and his disciples talk about Scripture, which Jesus does a lot, he always treats it with utter trust reverence never with suspicion toward its reliability. It was always a fact that he, he elevated this. This is the word of God. So you see, God's word has to be the foundational truth in our lives if we're going to not get discouraged in ministry. Because there are going to be times when we say, I just don't feel like God's with me. I just, I feel alone. I feel like God's just not there. Or there's times where you think, does prayer really make a difference? Does prayer matter? I feel like I'm just talking to the, to the ceiling here. I don't feel like anything's happening. But we know from Scripture that it is making a difference. And that's why we trust the reliability of Scripture that prayer moves the heart of God. It does make a difference. And God is with us in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. We know that whether we feel it or not. And, and sometimes we might say, is this all worth it? Is it worth it for me to sacrifice? I've told you this before, but there's been times, you know, when we talk about giving 
and you look at your, your giving, and, and obviously as the more money you make, the more proportionally you should be giving. And there comes a time when you, know, you reach a certain age where you're writing that check or putting it in the app, and you look at that amount, and you're like, whoa, I could be driving a super nice car, right, for that amount of money. There's times where Satan wants to kind of speak that into our mind and tell us, is this really worth it? Is this truly worth it? So where do you go when you experience hard times? I love it. Paul goes to the Word. The first thing he begins to talk about in this section is the Word, and he quotes from one, Psalm 116, verse 10. And if you go to Psalm 116, I'm just going to read a few verses. Imagine Paul. We know he's dealing with a very hard time. He's been rejected by the, the church at Corinth. The people are questioning his authority, his apostleship. And he goes to Psalm 116, maybe he's reading one morning, and it says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So can you imagine Paul just reading through the Psalms and praying this as a prayer back to God? Because he's being personally attacked. He's suffering from ministry. The very people who were his converts are accusing him of being weak, saying that he can't speak. Paul isn't a good speaker. And it's interesting, the very accusation they're making that he's not a good orator, he's not a good speaker. What does Paul do? He references Psalm 16 where the psalmist says, I believed, and so I did what? I spoke. I believe, and so I speak. And so Paul is saying, Look, you may look down on me because I'm not as polished as those other guys, but I can't help but to speak because my faith compels me to speak. The Holy Spirit inspires me to speak. Look at verse 13 again. So we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed, and so I speak. We also believe, and so we also speak. So the Spirit produces faith, and faith compels ministers to speak. The Spirit produces faith, and I would say in conjunction with the Word, and it compels us to speak. So if you have a boldness problem, if you have a speaking problem, if you have a courage problem, go to the Word and allow the Spirit to use the Word to strengthen your faith, and it will compel you to speak. It's, it's funny how that happens, that, that you, know, you can put a lot of effort on, I need to be bold, I need to be bold, I need to tell my friends about Jesus, and you can struggle and struggle and struggle. But when you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with his word, when you're going to him and you're seeking him, then all of a sudden it just loosens your lips. And, and your tongue just is much more free just to speak the name of Jesus because it's no longer an activity you have to do, but it's part of who you are. And it's Jesus working within you through the word, through the Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden you just are compelled. And so they say to Paul, you're not a good speaker. Paul says, I can't help but to speak. Because God is real in me, and he's producing this faith in me. And so both he and the psalmist, who were righteous men, were suffering unjustly. And their faith compelled them to sin, even though they were afflicted, perplexed, suffering, knocked down. All these things that the psalmist wrote and also Paul wrote about himself. So suffering doesn't kill our faith, and it can't silence the speech of faith. So if you want to strengthen your faith, you must have regular practice of being in the Word and reading, your, reading the Bible and meditating upon the God's Word. And how many times do we say that at Grace Church? And it's not an activity that you just check off your list. It's, it's the nourishment for your soul. It, it empowers you 
to be the minister that God's called you to be. It's your bread that you eat daily. And so if you are not spending time in God's word, it's no wonder that you feel so weak in your life, in your faith. It will change you. It will change you, the authority of God's word. Get in the word. Be faithful in it every day. Number two, what compelled Paul to keep on even though it was hard? Faith in and focus upon the resurrection. This gave him endurance in his ministry. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so Paul is saying, as he defends his ministry, he's saying that the resurrection, faith in the resurrection, faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, this gives him boldness, this gives him courage. He knows that Jesus, what did Jesus do? He defeated death, he defeated the grave. And so as we focus on the resurrection, I'd say most of us here today would say we believe in the historical truth of the resurrection. I mean, it's hard to call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in the historical truth that Jesus walked this earth, he died a true death, he was dead, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus rose again, and that's a major reality check when we begin to really ponder the fact that Jesus defeated the grave. Jesus rose again. What a major confidence builder. Because why? The the world has no answer whatsoever to death. They don't. Just do a, when you get home today, do some Google searches on what happens after death. What, and then type this in. I wrote this in. What do scientists think happen, happens after death? I will tell you, there is a world of thought when it comes to this whole idea of death. Is there life after death? What do we do when we die? Can we stop death? There's this fascination, of course, with death. But as believers, we have this amazing truth, this amazing reality that we know that Jesus defeated death, defeated the grave, and as a result, he's going to bring us with him into his presence, that we will rise again from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us incredible confidence, incredible confidence. Back when I was a youth pastor in Dallas, quite a few years ago now, there was a guy on our staff, his name was Nathan Combs. I never forget Nathan. He was six foot eleven, all right. So if you walked anywhere Nathan, like it was super obvious, like like whoa, everybody looked at him because he was so tall. But he was in his mid to late twenties, him and his wife, Melissa, and Melissa had leukemia in her twenties, leukemia. And we prayed and prayed and prayed for Melissa and kind of like a lot of people with cancer, she went into remission for a while and then the cancer came back. And then it was really bad, and, and she really got a bad report, and it, things were going downhill quickly. And one of the prayer groups that we had, Tuesday night prayer group and our youth ministry and some others from the church, we, she, they just lived about a half mile from the church, and we walked to their house. And we circled the house, hand in hand, had enough people to circle their entire house, and begin to pray for Melissa, and pray for God's grace and strength. And she was so weak, she couldn't even get up and acknowledge us, but she wanted to come out and acknowledge. So Nathan, big old Nathan, picked her up, her little frail body, and walked to the door, opened the door, and walked out. And we just cheered, and we, we love you, Melissa. We love you, Melissa. And that night, 
Melissa passed away. And I say that to say this, that that could have destroyed young Nathan Combs, even though he was a pastor. But it didn't. It didn't destroy him. He continues to be a pastor to this day. And in fact, at the funeral, which was more of a celebration than anything else, that we sang that song that we sang this morning, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And I just remember thinking, wow, what an encouragement that even though Melissa, her life was taken so short, that the church could celebrate and Nathan could celebrate even in his pain, not denying the pain at all. Why? Because of the truth of the resurrection. He would see her again. We would see her again. And so you see, the resurrection doesn't just give us this concept. It gives us a reality that we can live life differently because we know this is not the end. That we know what happens after death. And that's what Paul is saying, getting across. Live boldly. Live with courage. Live by faith. I love what Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary about the transforming power of the resurrection. He writes, Until people are prepared to die, they are not really prepared to live. The joyful message of the early church was the victory of Christ over death, and we need to return to that victorious emphasis. That's awesome, isn't it? You're not ready to die. You're not, you can't live until you're prepared to die. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are not prepared to die. I hope today is the day of your salvation, the day that you say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. My sin has separated me from you, God. I can't do it. Only Jesus Christ can do this. And I put my faith and my trust, all my hope in him, not just for the next life, but for this life. That's salvation. That's placing our faith in Jesus. And we have the, the promise of the resurrection that changes our lives. Number three, Paul knew that God's glory motivated him to keep on in ministry. That God's glory motivated him. So the word motivated him. The truth of the word motivated him. And then also the resurrection motivated him. But now God's glory motivated him. Look at verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul's motivation for preaching the gospel and also all the work that he did to send other people, disciple and send other people out to share the gospel, was for God's glory and God's fame. So it would increase more and more among people, and they would be introduced to Jesus. So God, Paul reminds his converts. Remember, he started this church. He began this church. He reminds them that all this suffering that he goes through is for their sake, and not just for their sake. Look, look at the verse. He says, to increase thanksgiving. He says, it's for their joy. So from a human perspective, Paul has literally sacrificed everything for Jesus. We've talked about this. How that Paul was wealthy, powerful. Uh, he, he was in a great position as a Jew. He had everything to give up on that road to, to Damascus when he saw Jesus. He gave it all up to follow Christ. Why did he do that? From a human perspective, it made no sense. Paul gave everything. And then to turn around and to share Christ and to start this church, then these Corinthian believers, they're not impressed with him. They don't even like him. They, they're giving him a hard time. And so Paul had all things that were seen to be now going against him, 
But all he did was to work more and more to increase the gospel's reach for other people's thanksgiving. How is that possible? Because Paul served others, others for God's glory and for their joy, not for any other motive as those false preachers were doing, but for God's glory. And it's miserable when you do ministry for self-glory. I will tell you that. When you're doing it because you have to, or because you know it, it's something that you're expected to do, or you have to be nice to people. If you do it all, all these things just because it's for self and your glory and about your pride, it will be miserable. But when you're truly living your life for God's glory, then ministry takes on a whole different focus. You know why you're serving other people. Pastor John Piper, I, I read this 25 years ago, and this was before I even knew who John Piper was, but he said this. He said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So we go and we share the gospel because people are not worshiping God. They're not glorifying God. And so everyone was created to bring glory and honor to God. And so we go and we share, Piper says, because missions exist because worship doesn't. And then look back in verse 15. He says, this is all for your sake so that grace will extend to more and more people. So the more and more people of every tongue, tribe, nation that place their faith in Jesus Christ, then glory, more glory is experienced. God is glorified through more and more people. And so missions exist because worship doesn't exist among these people. This is why we send missionaries to go to places and start truck stops and do these things. That's why these people go to share so more and more people will come to see God in his glory. But it's also the same reason why we go across the street or to our neighbor or to the cubicle next to us because we want to see other people recognize God's glory and his greatness. And when God is small to us, when God is so insignificant that we don't even spend time opening his word to get our nourishment for the day, then it's no wonder that people don't see the glory of God because we don't have any, any desire, really truthfully, in, in a practical sense, a street level for God's glory. And we know that probably chances are you're not finding a lot of joy in your life. As a Christian, you're probably on the, kind of on the side of miserable and discouraged because you're not fulfilling your ministry, you're not doing what God has called you to do. And Paul says that when people come to Christ and they follow Christ, and as this grace extends to more and more people, it will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It's going to increase thanksgiving to his glory. And to kind of stay on this same idea of Piper, because as I read that about Piper, it entered, it, like I all of a sudden got interested. What's this guy? Who's this guy, John Piper? And then a few years later, I went to Passion, heard him speak, started buying his books. And one of his most popular quotes is this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so the world cannot offer robust, death-defying, life-embracing joy. It can't. It has nothing to give you in that. But yet we run to the world for the world's stuff, and we find ourselves miserable, empty, needing the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing to, to keep us going and to make us feel fulfilled, when in reality God says, it's about my glory, it's about the joy that you find through glorifying me, 
is through serving other people, it's better to give than to receive, right? And so God has given us himself for, our, for his glory and for our joy, yet when we walk around and we're not satisfied with God because we don't know God, we're not seeking God, we're not spending time with God, we're not aware of the new self that he created within us, then we're miserable and there's no contagion about our lives, right? There's nothing that people see and say, I want some of what he has because he's got to figure it out. Or she knows something different that I don't know because she's happy, I'm not. I have more stuff than she has, but I'm miserable. And she seems to have this joy, even in the hard times. And again, this isn't a prosperity gospel or even a soft prosperity gospel that says, follow God and then all your problems go away. It's just the opposite of that. It's saying God's glorified in the midst of the struggles. God is with us during the difficulties, during the hard times. And it's during those hard times when people will truly get a glimpse of God's glory because we're living a different way than our society does. We're living different than the culture. We allow God's glory to shine through our happiness, our happiness, our joy. And so I, I encourage you, to, to, as a minister of the gospel, that's your job. Go to the Word. Be in the Word. Be nourished through the Word. Take in the truth of the Word. Know the, that what God tells us in His promises. Live your life. Your, make your, this your foundation. Think often about the resurrection. When things get t- tough or you lose a loved one or things are really discouraging, you think, well, you know what? As Paul's going to say in just a minute, this life is very short. Eternity is very, very long. And it's hard and it's difficult. It's sure taking a toll on me. But you know what? I have eternity to look forward to with Jesus. What an amazing thing. That's why Paul can write. And this is the fourth thing and the final thing. Paul focuses on his glorious future with Jesus. And this empowered him to endure any trouble. Paul's focus on his glorious future with Jesus empowered him to endure any trouble. Look at verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, so we do not lose heart. We're not going to get discouraged in this. We're not going to get to the place like we talked about last week where we're, we're, we're perplexed, but we're not defeated. We're not beat down and destroyed. He says, we don't lose heart. Though this outward self is fading away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's amazing, isn't it? Beyond all comparison. Just beyond comprehension. These bodies are falling apart, right? They are. We all know that. I don't care. You know, if, if you're anywhere in, around 30, you've recognized that. Now, I'm firmly entrenched in my 50s at this point. I definitely realize that, and some of you realize it even more so. All right, these outward selves are wasting away. They're not going to last forever. And if anyone had the right to be discouraged in ministry, Paul was not only getting older, as we all are, but he was taking a beating. I mean, he was literally going through extreme physical persecution. His outer self was wasting away right before his eyes, if he could even see, because chances are Scripture kind of alludes us to the fact that he could not see well. And so Paul had these terrible physical conditions, but yet he's able to write that day by day his inner self is being renewed, that God sends daily supply and power for ministry. He gives us everything we need for ministry. 
You know, I think it's so important, parents, that we help our kids to understand that the inner self is so much more important than this outer body. Because when you're young and your body is like, you know, your life, right? And you're, you're working out and you're playing sports and you're doing all these things, it can be easy to fall in love with your body, right? And the stuff your body does. And Timothy alludes to the fact that physical training is good. But he says, but training for godliness is much better, right? Because it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. And so, parents, it's really important, especially on this Super Bowl Sunday, right, in a, in a culture that is crazy about sports, that we keep perspective on what really matters. That one day, your body is not going to do the things that you want it to do. Yesterday, I was finishing a run at the boat basin, and I saw this guy up there watching me, and I, and I, was, and I was sprinting as hard as I could to the end. And, uh, and, and when I got to the end, it was Brighton. And he's like, hey, how far did you go? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you saw me sprint. I go, that's, that's the best this old guy could do, right? That, that for you, that you could run that easily. That was nothing to you. And even though I like to stay in shape and exercise, just the body doesn't do what it used to do. And it's frustrating because it's wasting away. So no matter how much F emphasis you put on training and exercise, eventually it's going to fail you. Paul wants to be clear on that, and we need to be clear on that. We need to disciple our children to help them see that godliness doesn't happen by chance, that we invest into our kids and we allow them to see that God's, what God promises lasts forever. And this life and the things we achieve are momentary and short. And Paul says, he calls these afflictions that we deal with during this time, he calls these light and momentary. I don't know how he does that because what he's going through is so terrible and so awful, and any of us went through that, we would definitely not refer to it as light and momentary, right? But Paul was able to refer to it because he understood the glory that was to come. And then verse 18, he concludes this thought with this verse. He says, as we look not to the things that are, un- are seen, I'm sorry, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul knew the things that we spend so much time on, so much energy on, these things were not going to last. And he knew that, and one thing I think is important to realize, he's not contrasting the physical with the non-physical, but he's contrasting the, the present world with the future world, the world to come. Because the world to come will be a physical world, okay? We're not just going to be angels with harps, okay? We're going to, be, we're going to have a glorified body, a new body, and we're going to live and we're going to eat And it's going to be an amazing, amazing future that we're going to have. And so I think what Jesus said about not laying your treasures up on earth, but laying them up in heaven, that's more of the idea of what Paul is getting at. And we'll see that as he continues his thought later on. It's the fact that the things that we spend so much time on don't matter in the future in heaven, in the new world. They don't make a difference. What matters is, and the things that last are the things that we do to serve and use the gifts that God has given to us to speak and to share and to love and to care. Those are the things that make a difference. Things like Miss Ann. Is Miss Ann here today? Who for how many years, Miss Ann, have you been doing that Sunday school class? It's been a long time. All right, however long that was. Faithfully, all right? And is that because she jumps out of bed and sprints and runs? I mean, she's in a wheelchair. She has a walker. But for 40 years plus, at least 40 years, right, you've been teaching this class and going about faithfully what God has called her to do. 
And we complain about the, the smallest little obstacles that get in our way of ministry. Oh, did you see? They didn't even speak to me this morning, right? Or can you believe that? Like, uh, that's too hard, right? We make the biggest excuses for not going on in ministry. And I dare say the ones who tend to quit are the ones who are not in the Word. You're not focused on the resurrection. You're not keeping in mind an internal perspective. You're forgetting who you are and your identity. So in closing, the head application today is ministry matters for eternity. Ministry matters for eternity. That the things we do on this earth for God and His glory go on forever in some way in God's economy. And so the heart is this. Where do you need God to supply you with strength to minister for His glory? Where do you need strength? What's your ministry leading you to at this moment? What obstacle are you facing? What discouragement are you encountering? What is your ministry in general? Like, do you even know what your ministry is? What has God called you to? And the hands application is going to be super hands-on today. The Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you to really think about what we're doing with the Lord's Supper. I love Tim Keller's quote. I think it's on the screen. Jesus is spiritually present at this table, in this food. He meets us in a special, real way. This is heavenly food that literally builds us up and grows us up. I don't have a high enough view sometimes of, of communion, what we do here. Because we know we're, we're, we know, we're Protestants, we know this doesn't turn into the actual body of Christ. This is not the blood of Christ. But it's more than just a kind of a routine we do because we want to remember what Jesus did. There's something real that happens during this time where God, if we're willing in faith to embrace what God is doing, his real presence and his real supernatural nourishment can be given to us to repel us. And I think it's through our, our brains really comprehending and processing what this is about and what God has done for us in Christ not taking it lightly, not just superficially, I do this, here I go, do this again. But it's truly taking the time to ponder and to spend mental energy on the fact that here I'm taking what is representing the body of Christ, broken for me, and drinking his blood that was poured out for me. Not literally his blood, of course, but I'm drinking something that represents the sacrifice that he made on that cross. And in that, God some way meets me and propels me and builds my faith. I hope today as we take communion that this will be your, truly your hands application as you take it. And if you're not a believer, maybe today is for the first time you take it because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you said, this is, this is my salvation. This is Christ's blood and his body broken for me. For me, not just for them, but for me. That in this, I see Jesus for who he truly is and what he's done. As I pray, I'm going to ask our elders to join me at the front. And I hope you'll take some time to pray as well. And just really thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for the privilege to be called into ministry. God, you didn't have to choose us. You didn't have to use us. You didn't have to call us to be your ambassadors, your masterpieces. God, you did not have to do that, but you chose to do that. And God, we thank you 
for the privilege we have to bear your name and represent you, God. And I pray that we'll never, ever take that lightly, realizing that people, when they look at us, they're to see, in some way, Jesus Christ. And when they see our love, it points them to a greater love, that love that was given at Calvary. And God, I pray that as we speak and as we serve and as we love, that we'll do these things for your glory and not for our own self-glory. And God, as we take the communion elements today, as we take the Lord's Supper together, God, I pray this will be a time to really ponder and consider the greatness of our salvation and the incredible opportunity we have to represent your name in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.